Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today we are going to take a look at two Colorado Rockies pitchers, uh, Herman Marquez and John Gray, one that I like a lot in Marquez, and then one who I have always shied away from, and that is John Gray, uh, both trending um, or trending in the opposite directions with Marquez shooting up draft boards and Gray kind of lingering post-hype now that he has uh, pretty much destroyed fantasy owners' uh, seasons last year if you did draft him and stick with him uh, for most of uh, the season. I'll take a deep dive into those guys. These are two of the four players suggested by uh, Stephen Smith at Stephen PSU78, who left a rating and review uh, for the podcast. I will also be covering Luis Castillo and Jeff McNeil uh, per Stephen's request. So thank you, Stephen, um, for that. Uh, just didn't have time tonight to fit all four of them into a podcast. So I thought I'd break it up with the Colorado Rocky pitchers. Um, and then I'll cover Castillo, McNeil, and a couple other guys uh, in the next podcast when I have a little bit more um, time. But it's definitely an interesting one, taking a look at what Mar make Mar made Marquez's uh, just unbelievable second half. So unbelievable notably the slider uh, and the curveball, and then what has been the issue that has plagued John Gray for much of his career, the really bad fastball and the super high uh, Babbitt that he is able to continuously and consistently, uh, or hitters are consistently able to generate um, against him. So we will dive in there. Again, the winter meetings are going on right now. A little bit of action today. Most notably, Charlie Morton signed a two-year, $30 million uh, contract with the Tampa Bay Rays. Really love this move uh, for Morton and his fantasy baseball value. I trust the Rays a lot to understand and know how to use pitchers. Morton is an interesting guy. He's put together a couple really solid seasons. Um, I was super on him this year. He was the pitcher, um, if not the pitcher that I own the most this year. Um, at least one of the top two or three guys. I had him in pretty much every um, at least redraft league um, that I had because I just loved the skills. And for much of the season, um, that uh, was a blessing. Uh, towards the end of the season, he kind of wore down. He, had, he really struggled uh, to make it to five innings towards the end of the season. And when you take a look at, uh, at Morton, over the last two years, his third time through the order, uh, this year, he had a 587 ERA, and last year, his ERA was over 7 the third time through the order. And so I think the Rays will understand that, so they'll limit him to 5 or 6 innings, um, depending on how uh, he's pitching. They'll understand that about him. They've got a very strong bullpen. They've got a really good commitment to analytics and creativity and uh, putting their pitchers in the best position to succeed. So uh, I'm really excited about that move for Morton. I think if he had gone to a more traditional team, I would have had a lot more concerns. I still think, um, based on where he is going um, in ADP, uh, which is uh, about 111, um, not 
too many concerns at that point. I've seen him drafted. His minimum pick is 79, and I saw him going um, earlier in the 80s. Um, maybe that was in the two uh, early mock drafts. He was going at 93. I think that's a little bit rich for me, um, but I do like him kind of in this, uh, you know, as you're maybe starting pitcher three, uh, it's not a bad option to have. He should continue to give you uh, solid strikeouts, solid ratios, as long as he doesn't get too deep into games. Lance Lynn also signed today uh, with uh, the Rangers, three years, $30 million. Uh, Lynn is kind of meh in 15 team leagues. He's definitely a streaming option, uh, really fastball heavy guy. You'd be surprised to know, though, that he did have his highest swinging strike rate of his career this year at around 10, uh, I think exactly, at exactly 10%. And so it's not nothing. Um, so definitely uh, a guy that, that may be worth a later round flyer. Let's see where he's going right now. Um, going at four, pick 436 in the 19 NFBC draft. So pretty much, um, you know, one of the last picks or not being drafted in 15 leagues. These are draft and hold leagues. So obviously he is being drafted. Um, he's a guy who really struggles with control. If he could throw the ball in the zone more often, um, he'd actually, I think, be pretty good. And he's had solid seasons before, but the control metrics just have not uh, been there uh, for Lynn for the last couple seasons. This year was definitely um, uh, the worst for him. I'm just going to get these up uh, really quickly. Uh, I took a look at them earlier, but um, his zone percentage uh, this year, 37.4%. So well below league average and well below his career average. And then his first pitch strike was at 54.1%. So about 6% worse than league average. He's got three consecutive years around 55% for, for, for a first pitch strike. And that's just really challenging when you're falling uh, behind uh, when you're falling behind folks. And so not a ton there, but if he can throw some more strikes, get ahead of hitters, who knows? Um, he's not totally atrocious. So that'll cover kind of news and notes um, for today. Maybe we'll get a little bit more action um, tomorrow. As always, if you um, like the podcast and you, if you enjoy it, uh, please do go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a nice review. Uh, as I've mentioned, if you do leave a five-star rating, let me know. You can select one player to profile in an upcoming podcast. If you leave a five-star rating and a review, let me know, and you can select three players uh, to appear on a future podcast. We're starting to get a little bit of a line. We're three deep in podcasts being lined up uh, thanks to your five-star ratings and reviews. So just thank you so much for that. It does mean uh, a lot. Obviously, you know some folks tweet at me and let me know they appreciate the podcast, but uh, the five-star rating and reviews are helpful, and it also helps with the algorithm to make sure that uh, we are... Um, getting this little podcast out to as many uh, people as possible. As always, you can also follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Best place to reach me for sure. Instagram at BatFlipCrazy. Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy. The blog is BatFlipCrazy.com. I also have YouTube videos up. Just search for BatFlipCrazy. Some that might be of interest. I had somebody asked about the rolling average kind of graph tutorials that I did. I did one for batters and one for pitchers. So if you go to YouTube uh, and my YouTube channel, you can find 
those those explanations as I go into rolling average graphs. It might be helpful if you've never seen those before to kind of take a peek at what those look like, how I do them, um, and why. Because I really think of all the tools that are out there, the rolling average graphs are super helpful in identifying changes in approach um, or skills uh, for players, which is essential for uh, fantasy baseball with so much information out there uh, at these days. All right, Colorado Rockies starting pitchers. Herman Marquez, John Gray, let's get this party started. First up on today's podcast, we have Herman Marquez, starting pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Marquez had an awesome end of the season, an awesome second half that really has propelled him up ADP charts. In the two early mock drafts, the 10 of those, he had an average draft position of 117.3. That is all the way up to 76.1 in the now 19 NFBC drafts that have taken place with a minimum pick of 62 and a max pick of 96. So firmly going in the top 100 players with that average draft position at around uh, 76. I would not be surprised if that average draft position creeps up a little bit as we get closer to drafts. Obviously, people are a little bit leery of Marquez because he is a starting pitcher that throws half of his starts in Coors Field. But when you dig into the numbers on Marquez, there is a lot, a lot to like, and there's not a lot of glaring weaknesses to necessarily point to. So let's dive right in. 196 uh, innings pitched last year. That is a career high. 162 the year before that. Uh, Got 14 wins, a 42.4% wins per game, uh, wins win percentage, so wins per game started. Uh, He had 33 starts uh, last year. His K-minus walk rate, a really nice 21.2%. That comes after a uh, 14% K-minus walk rate uh, last year. His strikeout rate was up to 28.2%, up from 21% last year, so well above league average by about 6%. Now remember, he really struggled in the first half uh, this year. And so that K rate and that K minus walk rate includes that poorer first half in addition to just the incredible second half that he had. 230 strikeouts in those 196 innings pitched. That's good for 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. His swinging strike rate was at a very solid 12.6%. That's 3.5% up from last year. O contact, very low at 49%. uh, 62.8% is league average. His Z contact, his in-zone contact, is right at league average at about 85.5%. And then his overall contact rate is below league average at 73.2%. His walk rate, 7%, second consecutive year at 7%. That's uh, better than league average of 8.5%. So that's really nice to see. The control metrics have also improved. His first pitch strike rate is up at 64.6%, 4% above league average, and 5% above last year's number. His O swing, so his chase rate on pitches outside the zone, is also up um, close to 4%, up to 31.9%, so better than league average. And he throws the ball in the zone at a solid clip, 47% this year, 4% above league average, and then It's actually down from last year, but he was in the zone way too much last year at 53.2%. So all in all, when you look at it, the strikeout numbers are really nice. The swinging strike rate 
isn't super elite like you see with a lot of pitchers uh, that we've covered so far because we've been covering the top of the ADP. But what we'll see when we dig into his rolling average graph is that that number has actually shot up as the year progressed. So really nice there, really nice control metrics. Trends heading in the right direction too, which is always nice to see for a young pitcher. That's one thing that you might forget um, about Marquez. This is the third year he's been in Major League Baseball. Um, He's 23 years old um, and he's going to be 24 uh, around the start of the season. So a really young guy. um, So plenty of room on the development curve for some uh, improvement. His whip was at 1.2 this year, uh, 1.38 last year, the 1.2. Nice nice number, especially for a guy who's pitching in cores with the expansive outfield they have there. 311 BABIP uh, this year, 316 last year. So pretty consistent, above league average, but nothing uh, too crazy. Uh, That came on a 333 expected BABIP last year, that 316. This year, the 311 came on a 318 expected BABIP. So doing better than the expected BABIPs um, you know, suggest, but not by a, not by a huge number that would raise any type of red flags with him. Soft hit percentage right around 17 and a half percent for two consecutive years. So that's slightly below league average. So worse than league average. His hard hit rate was a couple points above league average at 37.3%, but I don't really worry too much about the soft and hard hit rates unless they're, um, either really good or really bad. Um, If they're right around league average, it's not too much of a concern. His ground ball rate, uh, close to 50%, 47.3%, so 4% above league average. Uh, Really nice there. We'll take a look when we dive into um, his individual pitches. His curveball is actually generating not only 20% uh, plus swinging strike rate, but also a 60% plus ground ball rate, which is awesome. Uh, Woba was at 3 100 last year, 281 expected WOBA, so well um, below league average, which is really, really nice, especially, again, for a guy who's pitching in Coors Field. Uh, When we take a look at his ERA, 377, his ERA estimators are actually lower. His FIP is at 3.4, XFIP at 3.1, Sierra at 3.31. So again, these are also season-long numbers. And remember, as we dive into the rolling average graphs, We'll just cover exactly how excellent um, of a second half he had. Left on base percentage right around league average at 73.2%. Uh, you'd actually, I'd actually expect him, I mean, the BABIP is slightly above league average, so it might cancel it out, but the high K rate, you know, generally guys with high K rates do have uh, better than league average left on base percentages. So that's actually a room, an area where you may see a little bit of improvement um, for Marquez moving forward. He seems to, according to XStats, he got really unlucky last year on home runs. Uh, 24 home runs on 15.6 expected home runs. So he underperformed um, on home runs by 8.4 home runs. Um, Last year, he had 25 on 21.8. So closer, but still, um, you know, some uh, underperformance. And so that's, you know, important to note. He obviously pitches in cores. And so um, XStats should account for that. So it does look like there's some luck. There's some potential for uh, that number to get better, which is a good sign um, for Marquez as well. His his home run per fly ball rate at around 15.5% the last two years, but that expected home run per fly ball rate this year was at 10.2%, which is a really nice number. 12.7% is uh, league average. 
home runs per nine was actually below league average this year, 1.1 to 1.16 for the league average and down from 1.39 last year. So some really good uh, positive movement um, on that home run rate, the potential for um, some better luck this year potentially to um, help get that to a number that uh, Xstats at least believes he should be at, which would be beneficial to fantasy owners. Barrels per plate appearance also down 3.5% this year. Um, down from 5% uh, in 2017. Average home run distance around 420 or 410 feet um, in both uh, years. All right, let's take a look at the detailed batted ball profile uh, via XStats for Marquez. One thing that I like a lot about his batted ball pro- profile is that it's pretty consistent. So there aren't huge fluctuations in any um, you know, uh, particularly negative areas, whether it's a dramatic increase in, you know, uh, quality of contact or anything like that. He's been um, overall pretty much the same pitcher in terms of giving up, uh, in terms of his detailed batted ball profile, uh, below league average pop-up uh, percentage. So 15.9% last year, 14.2% this year. So actually worse this year. His fly ball percentage, 10.3%. Uh, 11.5% this year. Again, not too worried about the fly ball percentages. It's the hard drives that we're worried about. What I like about those two numbers is that when you add those two up, they're about the same um, as they were last year. And so it may just be a situation where, you know, some of the some of the balls that were pop-ups last year are now, are now you know, slightly lower launch angles and going for fly balls, but not necessarily the really dangerous contact uh, that we're worried about. Hard drive percentage uh, dropped from 10.1%, which is already below league average, to 9.4%, which is well below league average. Um, And then he did have a dip in dribbler percentage from 28% to 25.1%. Both numbers are better than league average, so that's really nice to see. He's giving up poor ground balls. He did see a 4% uh, jump in his ground ball percentage. Again, these are you know, kind of better ground balls, high Babbitt ground balls, if you will. The one thing that um, is nice about that is that the highest correlation year to year is the dribbler percentage and the pop-up percentage. And so it may just be, again, a case where there's a little bit of a change in those batted balls. They're still ground balls. They're not going for extra base hits. But instead of being dribblers this year, they were ground balls. Um, So overall, really nice there. When we take a look at his value hit percentage, it actually dropped 2.8% from right, right at league average at 9% to 6.2%. So that's awesome movement to see uh, from Marquez. His poor hit percentage also dipped um, from 25% to 22%. That's not surprising since we saw some um, drop in his dribbler percentage and his pop-up percentage this year. But overall, um, really nice, um, uh, very nice um, uh, detailed batted ball profile. His BABIP also, expected BABIP also dropped from 333 uh, to 318, which is great to see. Now let's take a look at these rolling, um, or actually first we're going to take a look at his um, repertoire. And it is a really nice repertoire. He can uh, get it up there with his four-seam fastball, 95.3 miles per hour, although it has not been a good pitch for him, a 145 WRC plus and a 385 WOBA. This is really the major weakness um, for Marquez and the the source of his BABIP trouble. He has a 351 BABIP against on that forcing fastball, and that comes after um, elevated BABIPs on that same pitch in 2017 and in a brief stint in 2016. So that's kind of the major weakness, I would say, with Marquez is the fastball. Um, 
The good news is, and we'll see in his rolling average graphs, is that he did start to fade that pitch um, and rely a little bit more on his slider. Um, and he also uh, started throwing a sinker a little bit more, which we don't necessarily like to see. It's about just as bad of a pitch, uh, 140 WRC plus 376 Woba. Um, but again, um, you know, not, uh, not um, get, well, it's getting hit just about as hard. So no real difference uh, between uh, those two pitches. They're both bad fastballs. And again, I think that's the major weakness and the concern for me with Marquez is that he, you know, that he struggles with, uh, with, with that, with a fastball. Um, the other pitches though, uh, well, at least his curveball and slider, really, really nice. 23 WRC plus 192 Woba for that curveball, uh, 17 WRC plus 183 Woba uh, on that slider. When we take a look at the overall uh, underlying skills of those pitches, 7.9% swinging strike rate on the four seam, which is solid. Um, it is a negative pitch uh, from uh, pitch values, negative 0.3 per 100, negative 4.3 overall. The curveball has a 20.4% swinging strike rate, and it also generates a 61% ground ball rate. So that's really, really nice. Also a 41.2% O swing. So one knockout pitch right there in his arsenal. The second uh, pitch, his slider, is really the true knockout pitch that he has. It's the best pitch that he has. 21.5% swinging strike rate on that pitch. 43.1% uh, uh, O swing. 2.4 positive pitch value per 100 thrown. And overall, 13.5 positive pitch value. The sinker has been getting some better outcomes than the four-seamer. Uh, it has a positive pitch value per 100 of 0.4 for a 1.2 overall, where that four seam was negative. Again, you know, the, the pitch values are based on outcomes, whether it's a, each pitch is a, you know, uh, a pot goes in the positive direction for the pitcher or negative, i.e. ball versus strike, um, hit versus out. And so uh, that's important to note. But the underlying skills, those two pitches with 20% plus, Swinging strike rates and 40-plus O swings are critical. His changeup, uh, not a very good pitch. Negative 1.3 pitch value per 100. 6.8% swinging strike rate, 13.8% O swing. He only throws it about 5% uh, of the time. So we see that he's got, you know, again, concerns with the fastballs, but that curveball and slider are truly elite. Now let's take a look at the rolling average graphs. Over the last 10 games of 2018, he had a swinging strike rate of 16.4%, which is awesome. That is kind of Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, uh, Blake Snell territory. And so not a number that a lot of pitchers are even able to reach over a 10-game span. And he was able to do that, and so that's definitely saying something. O swing at 33.7%. Um, so again, both of those numbers are well above his overall season uh, average, and then his zone percentage is still very solid, 46.7% over his last 10 games. First pitch strike, really hammering the zone with that first pitch strike, 69.8%. Um, that is really nice to see getting ahead of hitters and being able to throw that curveball and that slider more often. His in-zone contact all the way down at 80.8%. And the nice thing is that the trend lines for the whole season are really kind of universally in the right direction. So like, you know, earlier in the season, he had a high of an 89.9% Z contact in May. 
and then that was all the way down at that 80.8% by the end of the season. Uh, he bottomed out at um, uh, at about uh, high 50s first pitch strike rate in May as well, and then it ended with that close to 70% in October. Um, his zone percentage, you know, was down throughout most of the year, but that's not necessarily a good, th- a bad thing when you're throwing the ball in the zone 55% plus, you know, 50% plus percent of the time, you know, that obviously um, allows hitters to key in in the zone. Um, you got to make them chase a little bit, and he's been able to do that. So really, really nice rolling average um, graphs there. I think the other nice thing is that there's a very clear, um, you know, we haven't tested it, uh, but there's a clear connection between those improving stats and his slider usage. Um, earlier in the year, it was in the single digits, um, and then it finished the year at about a quarter of his pitches uh, over the last 10 games, 24.5%. As I mentioned, his forcing fastball is not a good pitch. He started fading this uh, beginning in July, and that's really when all of his numbers took off from 53.7% of his pitches to 38.6% uh, percent of those pitches um, over the last 10 games. So relying more and more um, on his best pitches, uh, which is always a really nice uh, thing to see um, with a guy like Marquez. He throws his curveball uh, over the last 10 games about 17.7% of the time. Um, so again, uh, really nice. And then his sinker usage uh, increased to 13.1% of pitches over the last 10 games. So overall, um, you know, when I take a look at Marquez's uh, profile, um, I really like what I see with that swinging strike rate. Again, not many pitchers over a 10-game span can get that swinging strike rate up uh, to that level. I mean, that is a truly elite level. He's got two 20% plus uh, offerings, uh, uh, swinging strike rate offerings with the curveball and the slider. The curveball can get elite ground balls. Uh, Both of them uh, get folks to chase on pitches outside the zone, which will help his control in addition to his strikeouts. When we take a look at where he's going um, uh, right now among pitchers, Marquez, the five pitchers, uh, starting pitchers ahead of him, uh, Marquez at 76, Clevenger at 69, Zach Greinke at 65, Bumgarner at 65, Tyone at 63. Behind him, uh, Fotonevich at 79, Berrios at 81, Price at 86, uh, and Mikolas at 88. I think Marquez, I like um, just about as much as all of these guys that are going both ahead of him and behind him. Uh, I think Mike Clevenger is a guy who the more I dig in, the more I actually love him. Um, And so he's a guy that um, I think Marquez and Clevenger would be a really nice, um, you know, uh, third pitchers to have if if that's possible that if you're going to go pitching heavy, but even solid uh, number twos for pitching staffs. I like them about the same. I'll have to dig in a little deeper just because Clevenger pitches for the Indians in the AL Central and not at cores for half of his games. Um, and he also doesn't have a fastball that's as bad as Marquez's. That's the one concern that I have about Marquez. But I think I'm taking Marquez over uh, Granke. I'm a little concerned about the skill erosion there. 
think over Bumgarner as well. I like Tyone a lot, so probably not there, but I could definitely see taking him in that 65 range where Tyone, Flaherty, uh, Clevenger are going. I like him more than Fulte. I like him more than Berrios, Price, and Mikolas. So really, you know, I have no problem taking Marquez here um, as your second or third uh, starting tip pitcher, depending on how you're going to construct your roster, depending on how many uh, uh, how many teams are in your league. Um, you know, just a really nice, just really nice skills. You know, the skills really support what he's able to do. And while um, you know a guy like John Gray has flashed really strong skills. He hasn't flashed the same level that Marquez was able to sustain over the second half. And Marquez does not have the same BABIP issues um, that Gray does. Again, he does have an elevated BABIP over league average, but it's not consistently in the 330 range uh, versus, you know, whereas Marquez is kind of in the 310 uh, range. And that is, that is a big difference. And then Marquez also has uh, more pitches that he can go to with the really strong swinging strike rate. So, Herman Marquez is a pitcher that I like a lot. I know folks will be nervous about getting him in cores, but consider the fact that that's probably baked into the price at 76. If he was pitching anywhere else, I would expect him to be in the same range um, as a Tyone in the mid-60s. And so if you like him, um, and you, I feel comfortable picking him that high, um, you know, uh, there's obviously some elevated risk because of the fastball and uh, Coors Field, but... The skills are just really, really nice from Marquez. Next up, we have our second Rockies starting pitcher, uh, John Gray. Uh, Gray obviously struggled a lot uh, in 2018 with some pretty high expectations from fantasy owners. He's a guy that I um, have been fortunate enough to avoid. I've always just had concerns with the elevated BABIP. I think a lot of times folks expect elevated BABIPs to uh, regress, and I think in a lot of situations they do. But Gray's fastball has always been really bad, and the expected BABIPs have always supported uh, the really high BABIPs that he has put up. And so for that reason, I have avoided him entirely. Um, I threw him a couple times at the end of last year in some daily leagues with streaming, but I was fortunate last year because... I think the danger with guys like Gray, and I feel similarly about a guy like a Nick Pavetta, for instance, heading into next year, is that is that you get seduced by the skills. You see the skills, and you keep on thinking this has to get better. The Babbitt has to regress. I'm going to keep sticking through this and make sure that I'm starting him when that Babbitt starts to go down. And then you realize that, hey, maybe this Babbitt is a part of this guy's profile, Maybe he doesn't have the quality of fastball or the quality of pitches that are necessary uh, to avoid or to lower that BABIP. And so Gray is a guy who is going much lower in drafts this year, which I think is good because there's less risk. And so hopefully folks won't feel as compelled to hold on to him. Uh, His two early draft position is 186.7 in the 10 to early mock drafts. He's actually going later in NFBC drafts, in the 19 NFBC drafts so far. He's got an average draft position of uh, 201.3 with a minimum pick of 155 and a maximum pick of 257. And as I, mean, as I mentioned, I mean, we don't think about it as much, but so much of fantasy baseball is 
um, psychological. And I'll use an example of myself. I mentioned Nick Pavetta. Now, he's the guy that burned me a little bit this year. And so maybe I'm more inclined to believe that he's going to follow John Gray, um, you know, in terms of having that elevated BABIP. Even though the numbers support it, you know, I, I'm probably a little bit biased against Pavetta. And so you probably want to look uh, to talk to other folks about him to see if their opinion necessarily jives with mine. But it's nice that Gray is going later on in drafts because maybe it's a situation where going this late in drafts to start out the season, you're putting him in matchups that you like the most. Now, this hasn't benefited folks who start John Gray in the past because he has the possibility to blow up against anybody. Um, I remember a game, I think, against the Padres last year where he just had an atrocious game. But, you know, drafting him later doesn't make you feel as compelled to start him. And so maybe there's some psychological advantage of having him go this late um, that will allow folks to be a little bit more patient to see, you know, instead of just plugging them right into lineups to maybe have them on your bench for a little bit and see if the stuff looks any different um, than it has uh, in the past. All right, that's enough. A little intro on John Gray. Let us dive into the numbers. 31 games start, uh, game started last year. Again, remember he had a little bit of a demotion uh, to triple A, uh, just to try to get him righted, which did not work at all, as we'll see in a little bit. That comes after uh, 20 start games started and 29 games started in the two previous years. He did have a three-year high of 172 and one-third innings pitched last year with 12 wins. Um, his K-minus walk rate has been incredibly consistent at 17.5% about for the last three years. Now, that's about 4% better than league average, which is really nice. His K rate, you know, for all the skills that we talk about, it actually isn't that exceptional. 24.6% in 2018, 24.3% in 2017, and actually a high of 26% uh, back in 2016. So, again, better than league average, but not necessarily uh, anything to write home about. Uh, 183 strikeouts in those 172 innings. That's good for a 9.5 strikeouts per 9. His 12.4% swinging strike rate um, came after 8.8% in his injury-shortened season last year, but aligns with the 12.1% that he had in 2016. He, does, he generates a low amount of uh, O contact, 16% less than league average, and about... Uh, average for in-zone contact at 85.2%. His overall contact rate is 72.4%, about 4.5% uh, below league average. So obviously supporting um, the improve, the higher, the better than league average uh, strikeout rate. Uh, nothing, you know, too elite, but um, pretty solid in terms of uh, overall strikeout rate, contact rate. His walk rate at 7%. Uh, in 2018, 6.5% in 2017. Uh, his first pitch strike rate, again, very consistent in the 61.5 to 63.5 uh, range the last three years, better than, slightly better than league average. His O swing did go down this year to worse than league average after being around, being at 30.1 and 32.1% uh, the two previous years, 29.6% this year. His zone rate also fell, 45.4%. Still better than league average, but when you put those together, worse than league average chase rate, slightly above league average zone percentage. I'm actually surprised that his his walk rate was as low as it, as it was. Um, I would expect that maybe to bump up a little bit if the skills remain the same. 
Again, the two previous years, he had higher zone rates. So that is just something um, to consider overall. Uh, you know, when you take it all league average control metrics above league average uh, strikeouts, uh, and that's why you see the better than league average K minus walk rate. The whip uh, is really where uh, Gray starts to be dangerous. One three five this year, one three in 2017, and 1.26 in 2016. The 1.26 isn't too bad, but that 1.35 when you put that over 172 innings pitched. If you're starting them every single time, that is going to hurt you um, a lot. Um, so definitely note of caution there. When we take a look at the Babbitts that he's put up, 322 uh, this year, 336 last year, 308 the year before that. He's actually had worse expected Babbitts in all three years. Uh, last year's expected Babbitt was 338, 358 in 2016, and 319. Uh, after that. We'll take a look at his detailed batted ball profile, but the major issue is that a lot of the batted balls that he gives up are not dribblers or pop-ups. They kind of fall in the other range, and so he may not give up a, a, a huge number of hard drives, but he's giving a lot, up a lot of those high BABIP ground balls, those high BABIP line drives, and he doesn't have any um, you know, above average uh, batted ball types that really deaden uh, that Babbitt. And so that's that's going to continue to be a major danger. Um, and as we break down his fastball, you will see why. Soft hit rate, 16% this year and 36.1% uh, hard hit rate. So both numbers about league average, the soft hit rate slightly below that and down significantly, 6.5% from 22.7% last year with the soft hit rate. Hard hit rate, 28.4%. Uh, this year, ground ball rate, uh, right around 58-59% the last couple years. Um, Woba uh, at 332 this year, expected Woba 320. So he did get unlucky, um, you know, in terms of that uh, Woba, and that's probably the home runs. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but again, 320 is a below league average pitcher. Um, so even his expected weighted on base average was uh, below league average. And one thing with Gray, he had a 5.12 ERA, so that's what really destroyed folks last year. His FIP was at 4.08, his XFIP at 3.47, his Sierra at 3.68. But one thing that's important to note, and I can't stress this enough, is that not all pitchers um, perform the same on their ERA estimators. Gray always underperforms his ERA estimators because of his really high BABIP. A lot of those, the, the estimators are looking at either normalizing BABIP or they also take into consideration the batted ball profile, but they, they don't assume that he's going to have one of the worst BABIPs um, consistently year in and year out. And so when you take a look at a pitcher, don't just look at their ERA and their EARA estimators uh, for a given year. Uh, make sure that you're also looking at how their career ERA compares to those estimators to see if maybe there's something um, different in their profile that uh, the ERA estimators are not picking um, up. Uh, you can look back at 2016 when he had a 461 ERA with a 3.6 WHIP, 3.61 XFIP, and 3.72 Sierra to see something similar there. He had a below league average left on base percentage at 67.9%. Um, you know, you'd expect that to go up 74.8% last year, but 66.4% the year before that. And I think a lot of that 
that low left on base percentage is because of the high BABIP. Um, he's giving up a lot of base hits. Um, he's got around a league average walk rate, um, or at least control metrics. And so, you know, there, there aren't a fewer number of runners on base than average when that's happening. And so, um, I wouldn't expect that left on base percentage to be uh, too high. It's 27 home runs given up on 20.7, uh, expected home runs, um, after 10 last year on 9.9 and 18 on 6.7. So a little bit of, of, of bad luck there. His home run per fly ball rate at 18.1% definitely seems high. His expected home run per fly ball rate was at 13.9%. So still worse than league average, but not that bad at 18.1%. <clears throat> home runs per nine at 1.41 after 0.82 and 0.96. So again, home run issues last year. Uh, his barrel rate is about the same, 3.9%, 2.8%, 3.9%. Home run distance between 407 and 415. So pretty high, but again, I don't put too much stock in that um, in that number. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the detailed ballad ball profile that I mentioned to you, or that I mentioned earlier. So um, his pop-up rate, 14.7% last year. 13.6% in 2017, 16% in 2016. So three consecutive years, lower than league average, and lower than league average by a considerable amount. Um, this year, three and a half, three, uh, three and a half percent below league average. And then when we combine that with his dribbler percentage, which this year um, took a dive down to 24.1%, uh, percent, so slightly below league average. Um, those are the two categories that really... Um, you know, deaden uh, the BABIP that can help keep the BABIP low. And those are, um, you know, lower than league average this year. Um, you can see that with his uh, poor hit rate of 22.2% compared to 25.5% for league average. And then he's also giving up more value hits, 9.4% than league average, although only slightly. Hard drive percentage right around league average at 10.4%. Line drive rate elevated. That's something that we see consistently um, with uh, Gray, 18.3%, 18.9%, 20.2% when league average is around 16.5%. And that's one of the highest um, uh, BABIP categories. Ground ball rate, 23.5% last year. Again, these are high BABIP ground balls. 20.8%, 18.6%, 19.6% is league average. So two of the last three years. Uh, above league average in that department too. So you can kind of see where the high BABIPs come from. Uh, 338 expected BABIP this year, 358 last year, 319 um, in 2016. Let's take a look at um, his uh, uh, his pitch mix. Um, 94.8 uh, average uh, velocity on his four-seam fastball. That's actually down. Um, one mile per hour from the last two years. Um, so just something to note. Um, I did dig into Brooks uh, baseball, um, his whiff or his uh, velocity by month, and it steadily declined. It declined about two miles per hour over the course of the season from start to finish. So that's obviously a little bit of a concern, something for folks to monitor. I talked about how bad the four seam fastball was. It's gotten worse. 158 WRC plus. 142 WRC plus last year and 135 WRC plus the year before that. The WOBA against on his four seam fastball was 405 this year. 
So essentially, batters have an elite WOBA against him, a 948 OPS on the pitch. So essentially, batters are 58% better than league average against that pitch. It's a horrendous um, pitch, um, and I think that's a major challenge. 349 BABIP on that pitch um, uh, this year. The slider does have an 80 WRC+, plus, 281 WOBA, 57 WRC+, plus, a 250 uh, WOBA on the, his curveball. Um, so two uh, nice offerings right there. Um, his changeup is not very good, but he doesn't throw it very often. 169 uh, WRC plus 416 um, Woba. Uh, one thing you know that's different than him and Marquez, for instance, is that he definitely he doesn't have you know the curveball that generates the really high ground ball percentage. Um, you know his four seam fastball has the highest ground ball percentage of any of his pitches at 51.4%. His slider at 48.3%, you know, but no really truly elite ground ball um, pitch that he can go to um, to generate some of that weak contact on the ground. Uh, Four-seam fastball, 6.4% swinging strike rate, so not um, uh, not super strong there. The slider does have a 19.1% swinging strike rate, a 40% O-swing, uh, so probably his best pitch. The curve has an 18.1% swinging strike rate and a 36.4% um, O-swing. So both of those pitches are pretty solid. Might like to see the curveball with a little bit higher O-swing. Remember, Marquez had uh, an O-swing above 40 for both of his slider and curveball, and the swinging strike rate was above 20%, including 25% on that slider. So you can kind of see the difference in the skills of some of the pitches um, that they're throwing that makes the difference. And you know, it may seem like just a few percentage points here and there but in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a huge um, difference, as is the difference between kind of a 300 to 310 BABIP versus a you know 320 to 350 uh, BABIP uh, that we see with uh, a guy like Gray. When we look at uh, the p values for these pitches, he's only got one positive pitch, and that's his slider. 0.8 positive uh, pitch value per 100, 7.8 overall. That four seam fastball negative 1.1 positive pitch value for 100, negative 15 overall uh, right there. Um, One thing that's interesting to note about Gray is what we saw with Marquez is that he dipped his usage of the fastball, but for some reason that's not necessarily something that Gray has really ever um, uh, done. You know, in 2016, which was his, you know, arguably his best year, um, you know, he dipped it down to 39.9%, but, you know, towards the end of last year, it was at its lowest, lowest point, but even then it was at 46, 47%, so about half of his offerings. And so Marquez really took that next step by bumping up the slider usage considerably, um, and that's, um, and, and fading his four seam fastball. Now, Gray started to throw his slider more as the year progressed, but it also lost its effectiveness later on in the year. Um, his swinging strike rate on the slider um, <clears throat> uh, dipped, um, which was um, you know uh, something that we saw overall with his skills. Yeah, so the the slider only had a sixteen point five percent swinging strike rate in uh, September, seventeen point eight percent in October in uh, August after having close to thirty percent earlier on um, in the season. So the effectiveness of that pitch faded as he threw it 
uh, more often, whether it's because he was throwing it more often or whether it was just changes in the pitch. Um, you know, I'm not uh, totally sure, but it was not as effective. And so when we look at his 10-game rolling average, um, we see that at the end of the season, he just faded. Um, you know, 9.8% uh, swinging strike rate over his last 10 games. Remember, 12.1% over the course of the full season. Uh, his O swing down at 26% over his last 10 games. Um, that is about 5% below league average. His first pitch strike rate held pretty steady throughout the year, above league average, around 63-64%. His in-zone contact uh, increased towards the end of the season in those last 10 games, 86.7%, after bottoming out around 82.5%. So, um, you know, with Gray... Um, you know, the, the really nice thing is that you don't necessarily have to reach too much to get him, uh, to get him at 200. I do see the possibility for some improvement heading into next year. Um, and so that would happen, uh, with, uh, um, you know, with maybe, uh, the BABIP, uh, staying a little bit lower, you know, closer to the 322 for this year. Um, you know, again, uh, the expected BABIP was higher. The home run total seemed a little bit unlucky, 27 to 20.7 expected home runs. So you could see some progress there. But again, the same uh, underlying and I would argue fundamental problems exist in Gray's profile. And that's the fact that his four-seam fastball, the only fastball that he throws, is one of the worst pitches in the game of baseball. And until that fact changes, or he changes up his pitch mix considerably and shows that he can change it up um, and maintain uh, the effectiveness of the pitch, then he's going to be a huge liability in terms of your ratios, your whip, and your ERA. He can obviously contribute um, in strikeouts. Um, you know, the Rockies will probably be somewhat mediocre this year. Um, I don't know if their pitching staff can repeat exactly what it did this year, guys like Kyle Freeland. Um, and so, you know, he's just a guy where I don't see a ton of upside right now because even if he pitches to those skills and the Babbitt comes down to earth, which again, you know, I don't see a reason, at least at this point, uh, to why that would happen. Um, uh, I, the skills still aren't necessarily that um, elite, right? He's not getting into the uh, Marquez territory of that 10-game stretch where he has a 17% swinging strike rate. And so that's just something to um, consider with Gray. He's a guy that I am probably um, going to stay away from again. I just really worry about guys with this profile. Pavetta, Gray, Archer, other guys who historically have have struggled to either have a good fastball or to have three good pitches and their and their two pitches combined aren't good enough. You know, Rich Hill's able to do it, but not many other folks have been able to do it. These are the guys that can really burn your ratios really quickly, especially if um, you know you're committed to starting them on a regular basis. So Gray is a guy that I will probably pass on. Um, before let's take a look at some of the guys going around him. Uh, the starters in front of him, Sean Newcomb, Jose Quintana, Tyler Glasnow, Andrew Heaney, Kevin Gaussman going behind him, Yusei Kikuchi, 
uh, Forrest Whitley, Joey Lucchese, Ross Stripling, Josh James, you know, pretty much all of these guys minus Sean Newcomb, um, maybe Jose Quintana, I would take uh, before I would take a chance on Gray. I think a guy like Kikuchi coming over from the Japanese league with a very good reputation, you know, he's, I think, worth the risk because we haven't seen what he can do in Major League Baseball. And we've seen um, that some folks uh, coming over from Japan have been very successful. Gaussman, I think, has, um, you know, pitched pretty well with Atlanta. I haven't done a deep dive on him, but he's also got the nice split finger fastball um, that he's got going for him. And so I've seen better stretches with Gaussman than I have, um, you know, with John Gray. Uh, Lucchese pitched well last year. Ross Stripling, if he can get into uh, the Dodgers' um, uh, rotation. We've obviously seen what he can do. A guy like Josh James, if he's in the Astros' rotation, had really, really compelling uh, skills at the end of last season. Uh, So just a lot of reasons, I think, why I won't be taking John Gray. The most important, I think, and the most critical for me is that guys with his profiles can really destroy uh, your ratios, and I like to stick away, stay away from guys um, like that. And I think there's more upside potential on some of these other names going uh, in a similar uh, area of drafts. That's going to wrap us up for episode 44 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, for listening. Really hope you um, enjoyed that. Uh, Herman Marquez is a really exciting guy. He is not without uh, some hints of issues with that fat, that four-seam fastball. We saw what it can do to John Gray. It's not quite as bad as Gray's, but it certainly could get there. The good news is that he does have those two uh, plus pitches in the slider and curveball uh, that generate a lot more uh, whiffs uh, than John Gray has been able to um, uh, generate and then gray we've kind of seen the history of those high babips and not being able to generate ground balls and poor contact the same way that marquez has um so that is going to wrap us up um again really appreciate uh folks listening um folks reaching out i'm really excited fantasy baseball i've mentioned it a couple times but it's starting to heat up and i just love the discussions that are happening now um, on Twitter about player values, and now that the hot stove is starting to get a little bit, I mean, pretty soon Harper will probably sign, and Machado will sign, and all the other pieces are going to fall into place, and there's just going to be so much room for discussion, so much change in value, so um, just really, uh, really fun time uh, heading into the new year. Uh, if you are playing fantasy football, best of luck. Um, if you're still playing in the playoffs, I hope you're doing well. I've got couple teams still going here in the semifinals so we'll see how that works out but this is a fantasy baseball podcast you don't care about fantasy football best of luck with your fantasy baseball research take care and be kind to one another